0: Well, we're coming along to the end of this series on marriage, and you know it's interesting when we preach; is that it's hard not to preach without the message impacting you. In fact, if you preach without a message impacting, something's wrong, because that that message should be working through us as we deliver it, and that's what we we seek uh, to happen. But I tell you, this is one of those things after being married almost 24 years is uh, as I've worked through these messages so much that I want uh, to see God do in our marriage and for us to continue to, to follow him. And so I pray, I've heard some wonderful stories from a lot of you, some of you that are about to be married, some of you that have been married for a little while, some of you have been married for years, some of you who who are widowed and you just share beautiful stories about how God just... Um, blessed you in your marriage for so many years and I want to thank you for sharing those with me Uh, don't just share them with me okay your church needs to hear them people around you need to hear them because God has been faithful to you and you need to honor him for that I don't know if you've been following all the story of Joey and Rory Feek Joey and Rory um, are a duo husband and wife who um, are a country music artist. They've been out for maybe about eight years or so now. And um, some, some really nice voices, and I'm not a country music fan necessarily, but have kind of gotten drawn into their story as it's popped up on my news feed from time to time with news stories. And if you know, is that the wife, Joey, has been battling cervical cancer. And um, she has, um, she battled it for a while. She, she was kind of in remission, and now it, it, has come, it had come back. Well, um, this past week they, they laid her to rest because the, the cancer became too great uh, that her body was just not able to fight it off. Last night, Susan and I were sitting and flipping through some pre March Madness basketball games and came across a Gaither special. And um, it was with Joey and Rory. And uh, it was a special called Hymns That Are Important to Us. One of the reasons I've been drawn to this couple and this story is because they are very unapologetic about their faith in Jesus Christ. And um, so this special we caught about the last 20 minutes or so I was interviewing them and sharing songs, hymns from them. And there was something so beautiful about what was going on with this couple. And I, I kind of saw this before without really seeing interviews, but in some of the stuff I had read. But you just watch that couple for a few minutes, and there's something different about that relationship. It wasn't just a good couple where something bad had happened to them. It wasn't just a, a public figure couple who was just getting a lot of attention, and so you know we were oohing and aahing over them. Now what it was is a couple who demonstrated what I believe uh, demonstrated what we're going to talk about that today, and that is being soulmates. If you watch them at all, and just in these few moments that we got to see them last night interact with one another, there was something incredible going on between the two of them. Now, the world would say, well, yeah, because she, you know, this was filmed, uh, I'm not sure how long ago, but she was, was somewhat healthy at that time. And, and people would say, well, yeah, that's because they've gone through something really hard. That, that's why they're so close. There's something more than that. Because we all go through hard stuff, don't we? There's not a person in here who hasn't battled and fought through. Whether it's been illness, whether it's been uh, some sin in a marriage, whether it's been just Um, things snuck up on you or a career change or finances whatever it may be we've all had to and all will continue to battle difficult things but the difference is how we deal with it the world says put your head down and just buckle up and get through it but those who live in a marriage that God that has been established by God and they know it and they believe it is that something different happens Something different where they choose and allow God to lead that marriage. There are a lot of people who say they want to build their their marriage on the foundation of God and of Jesus Christ. But living it is a whole other story. Living it requires a whole other sacrifice. requires a whole additional compromise, not of truth, but of our own will our own desires. Today we're going to talk about spiritual intimacy. You know, we think of the word intimacy and obviously our minds in this sex craze culture goes to physical intimacy and the act of sex. But there is something quite different in marriage that is more beautiful than that could ever be. Look with me in Matthew 9. The reference is on the screen. Matthew, excuse me, Matthew 19. Matthew 19. Jesus has been out doing ministry to the point where not everybody likes his message anymore. And it's this this fun setting where more people follow and then Jesus says something crazy and then a bunch of them run away. And then you know they start coming back around again and they hear, because they hear some things that are the, the truth of God which just is drawing them. They don't know why. And then he says something crazy that, that seems very, uh, very extreme and, and they're off again. Well, the question by the Pharisees, and we know the Pharisees' attempt is always to do what? It's always to trap Jesus and to, to, to pull him out of what God's called him to do. And so there's this question. Tell us about divorce. What, what's going on there is the question, paraphrased? Dan, in verse 3. And so Jesus respi- responds this way, referring back a bit to Genesis 2. He says, haven't you read that at the beginning the Creator made them male and female and said, for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. We've spent some time over the last few weeks talking about, not just skills, but talking about aspects of marriage that we all have to walk through. We talked about communication. and In fact, there are aspects of all relationships, but we've been honing in on on marriage relationships. We've talked about communication and how to go about that. We've talked about conflict and the fact that the last thing we should do is run from conflict. That only makes things worse. And then we talked last week about understanding and meeting needs of our spouse. Needs that God has given them. And our role in that. All of these things create an opportunity for us. They're an opportunity for us to experience what God And Jesus talks about right here. It's oneness. Oneness is a dimension in marriage beyond the physical. Yes, God talks about that, but there's more there. In the sacred covenant of marriage, there is more to this oneness than just oneness of flesh. It's a oneness of souls. If you look up soulmates, you'll get all kinds of junk on the internet. You'll get all kinds of stuff. Well, it's where you finish each other's sentences and, and you just love the same thing that your, your spouse loves and all of that. You know, I, I believe that happens and that's true. That's fine. But that's not being a soulmate. That is such a, a minimal and cheap definition of what God intends in marriage to be one. No, oneness in marriage in the spiritual dimension is about spiritual intimacy. It's about taking what God has given us in our relationships with Him and experiencing that together, cherishing and respecting one another, and experiencing God together. You know, every one of us, there's not a person here that has not been designed uniquely, And and we could bring anybody into this room from this world and that could be said of them. We've all been designed uniquely. And our soul is designed for one thing primarily. And as to be in relationship with God. Now that plays itself out in all kinds of different ways. But it is to honor and to love and to serve our creator. Now... Often the meaning of life is to figure out, how do we do that? How has God wired me specifically to do that? Spiritual intimacy, being soulmates in marriage, is how is God going to take our uniqueness as individuals and draw us together and allow us to walk together as a married couple and see how that plays itself out? You know, it was a bad rap on marriage to say, well, yeah, you got to throw everything out about you so that you become one. You show me a place in Scripture that says that. God wants us to honor Him through our individuality. But in that individuality and learning to bring two souls together, to walk forward experiencing Christ together, is nothing less than a supernatural miracle act of God, right? That's That's why marriage is so beautiful. That's why it's so sacred and special. One of the questions I want us all to think about today. And it plays into being soulmates with your spouse. But those of you that are in a, a, a point of life where you're you're single, you're divorced, you're widowed, this question is not apart from you. It applies to you as well. The question is, are we communing with God? And that word communion, I know, is kind of churchy, and it's like, okay, what does that mean? I don't go around saying to my buddies, are you communing with God? Okay, that's not something we normally say. But what it really means is, is, do you have a relationship with Jesus Christ? Not because your spouse does, not because all the people you hang out with do, but do you? Do you know what it means to talk with your father? Do you know what it means to worship your father in heaven? You see, this spiritual dimension of marriage is so important. It's what takes a marriage that the world would call good and makes it godly. I don't want a good marriage. I want a godly marriage. I don't want to settle for a good marriage. And and couples, you, you know what I'm talking about. It's those points in life when nothing bad is happening. Kids are all doing okay, nobody's sick, Um, jobs are okay, money's coming in, bills are getting paid, and and nobody get too excited or something may happen. How are things? Well, things are good, but don't ask me too many times. See, Satan has this way of luring us into goodness. He has this way of settling us into nothing big happening, all the while our souls rot away because we are not in communion in relationship with God. I want a godly marriage. I want your marriage to be a godly marriage. I cannot make that happen. But we all need to be pointing one another, walking with one another and saying to one another how important that is to the soul of our marriage, the soul of ourselves individually The spirituality, this—it is spiritual food—is the nourishment for our soul that we need. That's not new news to you. You've heard that said before from this platform. But if you want your marriage to move from good or okay or we're getting by to godly, if you want it to grow, if you want to be more like Christ and together more like Christ, then you have to feed it spiritually. That's what it means to be soulmates. Doesn't mean that everything always goes perfect. Doesn't mean that you put this facade on. No, what it means is that no matter what, your God is still God. No matter what comes at you, your God is still bigger. No matter what happens and what what turns life takes, is that your eyes are set on your creator and your savior and your redeemer. That's what it means. But Dan, you just don't know. Life can be really difficult. Blah, 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 blah. You think God doesn't know that? God knows everything going on. And so what we have to do as couples in our marriage is we have to make a shared commitment. If you want to become soulmates, you have to make a shared commitment. I've painfully watched in this congregation, and many of you have too. I've known people in my lives where there's been one of the two in a marriage that have made that commitment. And I'm not talking about just a commitment to follow Christ. That's the starting point. But making that commitment spiritually to say, we're walking together here. We are going to commit to be one spiritually. And so men, we need to be encouraging one another to not back off from that commitment. To not settle for anything less. Because as the marriages go, the church goes. Look what's happening in, the, in this world today. Look what's happening in the United States today. If we want to get a hold of what God wants to do for this church, then we better be holding each other responsible, men. And women, your responsibility, does it mean it's not there, it's different. But it's that encouragement walking alongside one another, saying we got to stay in this. Because God has something Beautiful. God has something great in store. I tell couples all the time that are getting married, hang in there. No matter how bad it is, hang in there and seek God. Ask God, how do I need to change here? And if you just hold on, you just hold on. And not after you get over the hump that everything's good and glory, but it's You cross it, and when you cross it, you begin to see with new eyes. And it's no different than what happens to us spiritually in our own lives. What happens as soon as we accept Christ, and as soon as we commit to follow Christ, guess who's after us? Satan wants to do anything, he will discourage us, he will make your church look horrible, he will make the people around you look like fools, all in the attempt to pull you away. And you don't think he's attacking you, then you better get in scripture and and understand and know that he is. But if you're willing to hold out through that, and you're willing to, to cry out to God, and when I mean cry, I mean cry out to God what will happen is that God will bring in a peace and assurance and a confidence. Not in yourself. Not that Satan has forgotten about you, but that your God is greater. So how do we do this? How how do we we live out this spiritual intimacy? Is it just going to church, praying together a few times, doing all the religious activities that, that we do? Yes, it is. It involves all of those things, but it's not just those things. I want to talk about two areas that I believe God reveals his character to us in marriage and we have to embrace to become soulmates and areas that we need to nurture. Now, those of you that are not married, these are very true for yourself as well. It plays itself out differently in marriage, but they're true of you as well. And they scream of the character of God. And the first one is faithfulness. Nurturing the soul of your marriage must happen through faithfulness. There's something in marriage that gives the capacity to teach us about faithfulness. I don't know a couple that hasn't been married that has never at one point in that relationship of marriage said, I don't know that this is going to work. This is too hard. There's too many things against us. They've changed this has happened. And all the while, God reminds us of his faithfulness. I mean, after all, we married sinners or marrying sinners, right? There's a lot of stuff going on. And God wants us to not get so caught up in the moments and the circumstances and the situations, but to look back and see God's faithfulness. And church, this is such a good lesson for us because faithfulness is like one of those gems that has been freshly cut. And if you've ever looked at a diamond or an emerald or a ruby, anything like that that's been cut, and there's all those different edges, and and you turn or the, the gem turns just a little bit, you see something new, something just as beautiful, if not more than what you just saw from the other perspective. That's what faithfulness is. God's faithfulness is. Because it it displays itself with trust, commitment, truth, loyalty, value, and care. And if you're thinking that that's not not present in in your relationship, your marriage relationship, look again. Look again. You see, our faithfulness to each other can only be sustained by God's model of faithfulness to us. I said earlier, the fact that two people get married and commit to one another is an act of God. It is. But what a, what a wonderful thing it is. But it is God's faithfulness in us. When we sit down with a couple, when I sit down with them and I talk with them about marriage, I spend time talking about them what I understand marriage to be from God's Word. And I want them to understand this. Because if they just want to get hitched up because they're looking for a happily ever after, then they might as well go down the road to the justice of the peace. Because he's going to do that and do that successfully. But if they want a marriage that is based on God's establishment of marriage, his principles, and, and to reveal himself through faithfulness, then let's talk about what marriage is. Marriage is a commitment. Marriage is a covenant. It is a sacred thing. And I ask them point blank, I need to know that you agree with this. Because if you don't, that is your choice. But I'm not the person to marry you. I'm not the person to officiate your wedding. Because you need to understand, I see my responsibility for God is that it's not just a ceremony. That is, that is uh, just a, a small little tidbit of what the responsibility that I believe I hold and it's not that I have to make their marriage work, but I, I owe them the truth of what marriage is about. And if I pretend that it's anything less, I, I believe that's sinful and I have not honored God. And so some people say, well, Dan, that's a bit extreme. You know, you make them and they have to understand all this about marriage. Absolutely. I am sick of seeing marriages fail. I am sick of seeing people get married and they have no clue and they believe that whatever goodness is out there will just usher and and flood their marriage and everything will be beautiful. It's a lie from the pit of hell. And we as the church have got to stop accepting that. We've got to stop telling people it's okay just to be in love. No, it's not. It is God's design for marriage much greater than that. And maybe that's exclusive, but it's what God's word says. And so we have such a great responsibility, not just to exclude people and tell them that they're not doing it right, but uplift the very marriage that God has given us and to affirm those that are doing it well by honoring God look with me to 2nd Timothy this is on the screen 2nd Timothy chapter 2 2nd Timothy chapter 2 verses 11 and through 13 this is a passage of scripture where Paul is speaking to Timothy and, and there's a reference here to some other scripture But what it speaks of is faithfulness. What it speaks of is faithfulness. It says, here is a trustworthy saying. If we died with Him, that is Christ, we will also live with Him. If we endure, we will also reign with Him. In other words, He's our Savior and our Lord. If we disown Him, He will also disown us. If we are faithless, He remains faithful. Because he cannot disown himself. You see what happens when a couple makes a commitment and a covenant before God and to one another. What God does through his Holy Spirit is he imparts in them as a couple the character of faithfulness. doesn't mean it's perfected, but there is the opportunity for faithfulness. It happens to all of us when we follow Christ. The character of God through the Holy Spirit, is implanted in us for us to live that out. We don't do it perfectly. It is a battle all the way. But you see, God has equipped you, husbands and wives, to be faithful. Don't tell me as a Christ follower that you can't be faithful. Because as a Christ follower, God has given you that ability through His Son, Jesus Christ. And so when a man and a woman covenant with one another, God promises faithfulness to them as they seek Him. So when you're in those throes of everything is falling apart in your marriage, be reminded of God's faithfulness. Don't look to your partner's faithfulness because they're going to fail. And you probably, you will too. But see, it's God's faithfulness that allows us to rise above where we have to trust. In those difficult moments beyond salvation we have to trust and we have to learn what it means to live a marriage where God is the one who leads ultimately. It creates a stability and a hope. When you're in those those. Places where everything is insecure, everything is unstable, and things just don't make sense. It is God's faithfulness, not your ability just to get through. It is God's faithfulness that will sustain you as you look to Him. You see, couples have to learn how to do that together. Because sometimes husbands, what we want to do is, Okay, wifey, got this one, just lean on me. We like that, don't we? We love when our wives do that. We want to be able to provide for them. But men, we got to admit that we don't have all the answers. we got to admit we're limited. But we say to God, God, I'm going I'm to trust you with this. And your wife needs to know that. Don't play the pride game or the arrogant game and say, I got it, and then go quietly and lean on God. No, you admit that to your beautiful wife. And women, very much the same thing. Is that when you're you're... As much as you want to tell your husband I, I trust you and, and, and we're going to get through this let him know that you're fearful and let him know that, that you want to seek God in this. See it's in those moments that we learn to and, and God takes our souls and, and just gradually and generally draws them together through his faithfulness. Some say well so how do we lay this out? How does, how does this work? practically. There's one thing that I want to encourage us to do as married couples, and that's to pray together. It's no different than what we talked about last fall as we focused on prayer, is that we want to understand God's faithfulness better. We want to trust Him more than we should be on our knees. And I tell you, as a married couple, that's hard. Susan and I have struggled for a lot of years with this component of, of being soulmates. It's not because... Um, we don't want to pray together. It's just been a battle. It's been a battle for us. And there's some selfish desires on my part. And, 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 and you know what I recognize is probably the most difficult thing about it? It's because to be transparent with one that knows you better than anybody else on this earth. You know, we can, we can play the game with God, can't we? Even though He already knows. But we, we can, oh God, oh, you, know, and you, you lay that out. But when you do that, and your, your spouse is sitting right here, oh, you know you're going to get it. And you should. And so it's hard to be transparent that way. But we got to do it. we got to do it. And so Susan and I are committed to continue to work on that. We don't have it figured out. You know, we, we can use all kinds of excuses. Well, you know, we're both so tired at the end of the day, and our schedules are so this and that and whatever. You know what? They're excuses. We have to pray together to appreciate and invite God's faithfulness in new ways. I read this quote, No amount of being religious can make up for the time couples spend in shared prayer. No amount of being religious can make up for the time couples spend in shared prayer. So start where you may, and don't hold up. The other area I want to talk about is forgiveness. Marriage has the capacity to reveal God's forgiveness. Now this one probably isn't much of a secret. You live with your spouse, you love your spouse, but you know all their idiosyncrasies. When we are hurt, who do we take it out on most often? Even if it's not their fault, we take it out on our spouse, don't we? Because they're closest to us, they're in the line of fire. Look at with me to Colossians 3.13, and this is one of many scriptures we could reference here. But look at this, bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. That's not new news to you all. We've talked about that before even in this series. But you think about it, two people living together day after day stumbling over each other's beings are bound to cause pains. Sometimes that's, that's incidental, it's not intentional, sometimes it is. Sometimes we're just ticked and we take it out. You know, maybe it's those words at the end of the day when you're weary and they're spoken too quickly and they're spoken too harshly. Or maybe there's a dishonesty in your marriage. The point is, opportunities for forgiveness are abound, aren't they, in marriage? And see, that's what God says and that's what God wants in marriage. He wants us to say, embrace it. Embrace it. Some would buy the lie to say, well, if we have to forgive each other all the time, then we probably shouldn't be married because this thing's going really bad. No, you're normal, right? You're normal. The reason we're doing confession each week is because we should be doing that every day in our lives. But if we run from forgiveness, we will run from the greatest blessings that God will give us in a marriage because we're going for the easy way out. We're avoiding we got to forgive each other. Otherwise, that forgiveness turns into resentment. It builds up. Look with me at Matthew 5-7. One more scripture to look at. Matthew 5-7. This is the good old Beatitudes. 5-7 says this. Matthew 5-7. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the merciful, for they will... Will be shown mercy. I think a lot of times with the Beatitudes, what is a tendency of mine is to say, well, I do this and I get this. I like it. When the reality is, is that God has already been merciful to us. Hadn't He? I mean, goodness, every one of us, there's not a person in this world where God has not extended his mercy to them. The question is, is are we going to receive it? And that's what he's asking right here. That's what he's talking about essentially. He says, model this mercy. And I believe that when he says shown mercy, he's not just saying you're going to get it. I think what he says here and what he's getting at is that we, he will establish in us a place for mercy to grow and mature. You know what happens when we don't have mercy? Those walls start building up around our heart. We don't care about people. Homeless, yeah, it's their own fault. Those people should have worked harder. No compassion. And God says, if you exercise mercy and are reminded of my mercifulness, then you know what? I will break down those walls. You won't do it on your own. I will break those walls down. And you will be amazed at the mercy that will rise up out of your heart because you've allowed me in in that area. It's not just a payout. It's not just do this and get that. But it's revealing that in your life. And talk about a place for mercy. That's what forgiveness is. I don't think there's any better way to embrace forgiveness in your marriage beyond forgiving, is than to worship. Let me say one more thing about forgiveness. I'm more and more convinced that forgiveness starts with a choice, not a feeling. Let me tell you, if you've been hurt, you're not going to feel like it. You're not going to feel like it because you've been hurt. That's a natural reaction. And in our lives, we have to say, I'm going to make the choice. I'm going to make the choice to forgive. And again, what God does is he gets us to that point where we feel like it. But we have to choose it. And I think worship is the place for that. When we are caught up in our own sins and the sins of our spouses and and we're trying to figure that out and we're trying to forgive and and walk back and forth and move forward and, and grow and mature, nothing points us in the right direction than bowing before our God and worshiping Him. I said it early on and I'm going to say it again. That's why we're here on Sunday mornings. We're not here to get stuff. That's icing on the cake. Well, damn well, why do we come to church? The church gathers to worship the creator of the church. Now, do we get stuff out of it? Absolutely we do. But you know, it doesn't matter what song we sing. It doesn't matter what scripture we use. There's, there's, there's things that we want to work, and we, we, we want to be obedient to God in that. But our goal walking through those doors should be to do one thing should be one thing, not to get a good message, not to sing our favorite song. It should be one thing, to bow before God. You know, my best times of worship are when I don't feel like it. My best times of worship are when I am feeling um, so beaten and so down and on myself, and it feels like everything's falling apart. Those are my best times of worship. You know why? Because it's not about me. And I need God. Every one of us need God. So let's be worshipers who gather, as Hebrew 10, 25 says, gather. And it does build us up. It does encourage us. But you want to have a perspective in your marriage on forgiveness? Then you go to the forgiver, and you worship the forgiver. I cannot wait for two weeks from now, not because the world has, has designated it's Easter Sunday no but because I know the purpose that day is the greatest purpose ever and that is to come together whether there's lilies or not we are going to worship Jesus because we are going to celebrate that he has rose from the dead and yes all the other little bunnies and rabbits and, and, and eggs and candy and I get to eat sweets again and I get to have a cup of coffee again I can do it now but I choose not to. Yeah, I'm excited about that. But I'm excited because we're coming and we're going to worship Jesus. Church, every Sunday should be that way. Every Sunday. Because we are to worship Him. And I encourage you as couples, worship Him together. You know couples in marriages and they're not attending a church, you invite them. Their marriage is struggling or not, you invite them to worship together. Whether it's here another Bible-believing church, you invite them. Something happens when we can stand next to our spouse and worship the king together. Because there is a sacrifice, there is a commitment anew in doing that. But there's private times as well. And I got one little more piece here, and this is in a preacher's mind, this drives us nuts because it's something I believe is very important for us to talk about, and it doesn't fit anywhere nice and neat. So I'm just going to put it on the end here because it's crucial. But it's another application of how we become soulmates, and that is to serve together. Remember when Susan and I walked in uh, to Barron Street uh, 17 years ago now, 18 almost. And we walked in, and, and the Lord had showed us this is the place to be. <sighs> Never knew what was going to end of that, but um, here we are. Uh, and one of the first things we did together is we served in nursery together. Now, my beautiful bride is still doing that. But I want to encourage you as couples to serve together. Even if your gifting is different, and, and it's hard to you know always figure that out. But find a place to serve together. And I I want to tell you that there is no greater place, I believe, as couples to serve as to invest in the next generation. You may say, well, I don't know how to do all that. You know, I couldn't teach over there and Kingdom Kids. There's just too much involved. Who are you relying on? God will equip you. But I remember the joy Susan and I felt of serving in the nursery together. Yeah, we had to change poopy diapers, but eh, who cares? And you know what the beauty of it was? What was so cool is years later, guess who guess who was called to be a youth pastor? And guess what kids start coming started to come into that youth ministry? Kids that we had cared for in nursery. It was such a blessing by the Lord. Because yet another opportunity that, that we had together to, to serve our Lord and care for them. You know, we have, we have a lot happening in the nursery ministry and Kingdom Kids ministry every Sunday morning. And we have heard comments from people saying, well, I need to go to worship. We all need to go to worship. But we do have two worship services. Those kids need you. They need you. And I can't think of a better place for a couple to join together and serve together. You're not going to have to go in there and be there until Jesus comes back, okay? Unless you're really good. No, I'm just teasing. But play your part on that. Yeah, there's so many other places to serve in great places. But I want to tell you there's a need there right now. And that is a ministry that we continue to see God calling us to as a church. And we cannot ignore it. So couples, no matter how scared you are, I encourage you to reach out. Talk to Kelly McQueen. Talk, talk to Cindy Owens. Others on, on children's ministry team about serving together. And watch what God does with that. Find a place to serve together. Learn to be sacrificial together. You see, our Lord modeled that. We're supposed to continue that as well. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Lord, you've given us, you've given us the, this beautiful, beautiful, living, breathing thing of marriage. And God, I would ask that we would look at it as an opportunity to learn and to model and to live out your faithfulness and your forgiveness. Lord, I want to pray for these marriages in this church. God, I know you want to do great things with them. So Lord, do that. Help us to come alongside one another and encourage one another in that. Whether we see that in another couple or whether we just see a couple who needs to be encouraged. Lord, help us not to back away from that. But to put our arms around them, to pray for them. As Father, we know you provide in that way. Father, as we walk away from this marriage series, may our focus on our marriages become ever greater. We want the marriages of this church to be godly. But that will not happen without our dependence on you. May it be. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. I'm going to